Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm Dev. And I'm Hugh. And on today's show, we are looking at minute 22. We're getting into the nitty gritty of the film here. And we are starting on the steps of one of the most famous high school buildings in American film and TV, the John Marshall High School in Silver Lake, LA, standing in here for Gross Point Blank's own high school. And we are at the tail end of the conversation between lead character Martin Q. Blank, played by John Cusack, and his former school teacher, played by Belita Moreno. So, with us today is our guest, Darren Husted. Darren, how are you, sir? I am doing fine. Um, Excellent. Excited to go to the Ultimart and, you know. Oh, isn't everybody? Yeah. <laughs> we all want to visit the Ultimart. Um, where, where would uh, people have heard you before, Darren? Given you, uh, a, you are far more experienced in the ways of the Movie by Minute podcast than we are. Well, uh, well, I, I mean, I don't want to brag, but literally the first <laughs> the first mi- Movies by Minute podcast that I did was the third ever Movies by Minute podcast, which was a talking Whee! cat, which was about the film A Talking wow. Cat. I was only I was a ho- I was the editor for that, but I was I was only guest on like I think five episodes maybe out of like eighty six, wow. um, and that is a film that has long stretches where there is literally nothing going on on screen. It is just. There's a there's a point where there's three minutes of a car just driving, and it's not clear who's in the car, where it's coming from, or where it's going to. So, you know, very difficult <laughs> to cover. So, yeah, that was like nine years ago. I think that started uploading. So, uh, the anniversary. I have for to ask. Recently, passed. I have to ask why why did they pick that film then? Why? Well, do you know what? There's funny enough. There is a story behind that. Uh, it was covered by a podcast called The Flophouse, uh, which covers um, bad movies. And um, they talked about A Talking Cat, which has an exclamation point, a question mark, and then an exclamation point. Though for listeners in the UK, it's known as Duffy the Talking Cat, and there's no fancy exclamation points or anything. Um, okay. And it had gained a reputation because a writer on the AV Club, Nathan Rabin, had written about how terrible it was and how basically nothing happened in the film. Uh... And so they covered it because of, you know, it, it started to gain a bit of a reputation. Um, and then in the Facebook group, one of the hosts said, this film is crazy enough that it could sustain a minute by minute podcast. The, 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 the host of that podcast had been guests on Star Wars Minute a few months before. So, you know, they obviously were aware of that format. And a few people in the group were like, should we do this? Like, should we make a podcast about this that goes minute by minute? And it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and then I ended Amazing. up editing it. Yeah, so it's literally, it's like, it's it's funny because some people are like, oh yeah, like, because occasionally people be like, oh, wh- when was it on that, that episode that they said it could be? And I was like, no, it wasn't even on the episode. It was literally just a comment in a Facebook group. Um, so, you know. Amazing. Like, if they'd have actually said on the episode, you know, oh, this could, like, then people could understand. But it just came from somebody suggesting it. And then, you know. A group of forty something of us were just like, okay, there was no, there was, there was a couple of people who were like the hosts, but there was no like single host who went from the first minute to the last minute. Um, oh wow! It was just kind okay. of a group effort. So there, there was, there was a host who who did about twenty, you know, fifteen episodes each, um, but it kind of rotated, and it was kind of, you know, because there's very little in most of the minutes in the film. It was kind of, you know, some people had specific minutes they wanted to talk about, and so. They kind of contacted me 
Um, and my co-producer and said, you know, can, can I be on this minute? And I was like, sure, you know, let's just fill it up. I had, you know, we had a spreadsheet and we just started sticking names in and then just telling people go and record the episodes. Um, and prior to doing that, I had never edited anything on like anything. So I just, you know, people sent me these files and I put them together in uh, Audacity and just started editing them. And that was, you know, wow. Yeah. The okay. first, the first episode, I think only runs about 15 minutes, but it took me about five hours to edit. Cause I was literally going through like mm-hmm. second yeah, by first second. Time you do. Yeah. 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 These days I'm yeah, going to be quicker. So I taught myself to edit at high school with VHS, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It is, you know, I think later on when I was working in the, in the media, I think I used to say, if you want a half hour video, you're probably going to be ending up shooting two hours and cut it all down. You know, I mean, that tended to be, that tends to be how it works. You know, uh, you, you, you know, you're going to have to do a lot to get it back down to, to where you need it. So, but you get quicker and better at it. Have you got to that point now where you recognize your own, uh, uh, vocal yeah, foibles I, yeah. when you see the curves in audacity. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's funny because the you know the most recent projects I've done again have been where we've had a group of hosts. Um, I think for Glass Onion it was seven hosts or nine hosts. I think it was nine. I, well, I can't remember. But anyway, they they're on a rotation. So the hosts you know do like you know four stints and the guests do one. Um, you know, so hosts do 20 episodes. So, you know, uh, editing the hosts for the second or third time through, you by the time you've done like 15, 20 episodes of the same host, you kind of recognize, you know, uh, what what things look like. And it's a bit easier for me to, to put stuff together. There's all, you know, there's also uh, the biggest issue is just when, um, you know, there was a, there was a set of minutes where um, the other person didn't have headphones, so you can hear both people on one track. Um, so you know, just cleaning stuff up is the kind of, you know, it's uh, you know, uh, uh, from my point of view, I just want to make sure that the minutes have been recorded and that's it. So that's mm-hmm. that's all I'm after. So if I have to then spend some time afterward, like tidying things up, and then you know, I've got to the point now where I'm fairly quick in terms of audacity. I was just annoyed because the most recent version like got rid of a couple of shortcuts. And now I have to go into the menus to do stuff. So I was like, oh, this is a bit of a pain. But, you know, after like nine years, but I mean, effectively, like nine years of editing on free software, I, you know, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, you know, I, th- I think at this point, you know, like, you know, you get what you pay for, don't you? So uh, if, 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 I can, if, I can, if I can use free editing software, then that's, you know, it's, but yeah, like literally, I, I, as, as we were getting to upload the first episode of a Talking Cast, like I didn't even know how to get an RSS feed to work, so I literally spent mm-hmm. like a couple of hours googling how on earth to like get it approved by Apple, how to get it uploaded. Like all of that stuff was just completely foreign to me. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah. you know, we'd set a date for when the first episode was going to go up, but I was like, I haven't got like I had the episode edited, and then I was just like, what the hell do I do? So um, yeah, these days it's a little it's a little easier, you know. I would also say that like the whole yeah. podcasting thing has got a bit more like you know there are sites out there that kind of do this thing and make it a bit easier for you so you know there's like there's there's tools that you can use whereas you know a decade ago it was a little bit more wild west and it was just like you know you have to submit it to apple and just pray that they would approve your podcast (laughs) and it's like and then you're going in and changing the size of the artwork over and over again to try and get it to match what they they want it to be and you know all that you know it's it 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 was a fun adventure 
um, you know, mm-hmm. kind of nine years ago, just trying to figure out exactly how on earth to edit a podcast. Um, but yeah, don't watch a talking cat. It's not a very good film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Gross Point Blank, which yeah, Dev, you have said. Great film. Yeah, and Dev has said this before, and I'll let him say it one more time again on this. Dev, what is this film to you? Oh, this is my favorite film of all time. This is categorically, hands down, my favorite film. I have seen this probably hundreds of times at this point. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And in this minute, we have uh, some great sequence. I think uh, we've obviously got the very end of the high school. Um, Miss Kanata has to head off because they're playing her song. And then we break into what I feel is the oddest musical choice in this entire generally well-scored film of quite loud grating Live and Let Die that turns into Muzak's Live and Let Die. Uh, I, I mean, I think it evokes the feeling of the ultimate. It's, you know, very manufactured, very manufactured sounding music for a you know, convenience store vibe. Uh, but it is very much in contrast to the music that's generally playing in this film, I feel. I, I, I think that's the point. I think it is literally one of the greatest audio plus video edits in the history of cinema. I really do feel that, okay? Because everything we've been saying in these episodes about the character of Martin Blake and the journey that he's going on, right, is 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 encapsulated in this minute because he, the conversation, as you say, ends with Miss Canada. She leaves. And he turns and, and, you know, there's no one there. But he says to himself, ah, Mrs. K. And he's kind of like slightly cheered up, you know, half hint of a smile. He's not quite the, the sullen ex- existentialist warrior we saw earlier on, right? He's starting to get a little bit of a who he was back. Drives his car along. He's listening to Live and Let Die by, by, by Guns N' Roses. Very important, not the original Wings version because it's the 90s. Cover versions, this is the thing, right? And Guns N' Roses are big. And it's that moment where the camera doesn't show you what he's looking at, but whatever he's looking at shocks him so much that he pulls his car over to the side, sits there looking at the camera, whatever it is he's looking at, there is a look that you cannot describe on his face. We've seen this man kill people. And this look on his face suggests that somebody else is going to die soon once he figures out what's going on. Gets out of the car, walks to the camera, Still looking at the camera and the lyrics as they're moving through it, right? You know, this is this is one of the the, the more interesting Bond tracks because for all of its uh, wings, obviously Paul McCartney's band after the Beatles, um, arguably the most of the Beatles who had hits after the, uh, they they broke up. That was the band that probably featured the most in the British top thirty at the time, regularly on top of the pops. Um, you know, it's Roger Moore's debut film. It's a, a new bond for a new era. It represents the song itself. Represents lyrically, it's the old bond and the idea of the killer who's worn out and you know who doesn't want to do what he does anymore. And should he? What's the cost of him? But musically, it's much more kind of grandiose and big and brash. Um, and you know, it's McCartney in his post Hendrix phase rather than you know earlier McCartney and. Um, and and of course that's the black exploitation bond, right? That's the bond that rips off black exploitation era films. Yeah. So all of that is bound up in this mo- in this song, right? So when he, when a when a black suited killer steps out of a car to the sounds of this song, right? And then when they switch around and you see that oh, it's just a supermarket, 
it's just the ultimate, right? And then you cut back to him, and it's like, <gasps> that look on his face, that look on his face, like, I am going to kill somebody now, right? Is just, it's so perfect for the song, because the song is literally telling us what's in his head. Yeah. And no, no, but obviously he says he's, he's going home, when she's like, where are you going? The teacher is like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going home. So it's, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, what you're meant to do in films, it's it sets that up perfectly of like, as a viewer, when he arrives at Ultimart, you, you're not thinking to yourself, oh, he's like popped to get like some Gatorade or whatever. Like you're thinking, oh, like the the, the look on his face gives away that, that as a viewer, you should know what's happening, which is this is now his home. His home is now an Ultimart. And, you know, like something has something has clearly gone wrong in the time that he was away. You know, his indifference to, you know, his his hometown has led to something catastrophic happening that is, you know, all over his face. Um, But, yeah, it's really it's really weird because like live and let die, like the way that, you know, the way that Paul McCartney sings it is it's it is kind of like a ballad that gets very heavy and orchestral. But like it wouldn't strike you as being like a, a rock song in that sense. Mm. But then Guns N' Roses, of course, they completely flatten the song out, so it is just nothing mm-hmm. but a hard rock song. There is there is no like there is a quiet part, but it's just Axl Rose's whiny voice, and then mm. it's the rest. Then the band just come in. Like there, there there's no levels. It's like literally if you were to look at it, you know. In a in a you know a music file, it would just be a just a, a thick bar of noise with a few little mm. dips where you've just got Axel mm. singing, you know. But also, I think mm. the lyrics you know fit well with Martin Blank, you know, the whole mm. you know mm-hmm. an yeah, open absolutely. book, like the whole like he's not an open yeah. book, <laughs> so it's it's like a deliberate contrast of like it, like this is the exact opposite of what Martin Blank is, like he, he and he doesn't say live and let live, he literally goes around <laughs> killing people. So I just you know. Mm. It, it you you might it might seem like an odd choice, but I always I I think that it fits the the kind yeah. of tone of the film at this yeah. moment perfectly. And and the yeah. changeover to Muzak oh, is perfect. literally one of the, just heavenly. Not only is it perfect, yeah, but it's also one of the the one of the main jokes I can remember as a music fan in the nineties was that you know we all used to joke about you know. Uh, uh, hard rock and grunge, and the day that it becomes music. You know, one of the great ironies of uh, grunge in the '90s coming from Seattle is Seattle is also where music, the corporation, was yeah. born. Um, and so it was always the joke that you know grunge will come back home one day, which of course it has done now. Uh, yeah. And and this film that this one moment like encompasses this running joke that music fans had throughout the '90s in a number of countries. You know, I mean, I made this joke with friends with friends in Switzerland in the CD store. You know, it it it, it felt like. It's in that sense, it almost prefigures high fidelity. You know, it's a knowing nod to people who love music. And it's also genres of music. In a weird way, it's it, it like it's not the original that we're listening to to start off with. We're yeah. listening to a cover, and then it turns mm-hmm. into a cover, a cover of a cover. Of a cover <laughs> and you're like, you know, just and that just the transition of him opening the door, like just the way that it instantly switches from mm. you know what I, I mean i don't know if it's meant to be diegetic is he meant to be listening to that song or is it just playing as he's driving possibly because he's yeah it could be diegetic i mean it, it's it feels like it's diegetic because he's because he's walking away from the car while it's playing yeah and the camera's still by the car so yeah 
and then as you say, so let, let's let's go with the idea that they're both yeah. died. So as soon as, but it's, yeah. yeah, just but it's a it's a nice coincidence that like as soon as he opens the door, it, the song is at the exact same point. So it's almost mm-hmm. as if this was playing wherever he was going to be. This was going to be the soundtrack to, you know, him mm-hmm. doing this. But then it just turns into into that music, and you know that like the the shock of going to where your childhood home should be and seeing like a shop it's funny because like here in the uk uh, you know there are a lot of uh, corner shops that are just literally converted ha- like houses it's just like a house on a corner yeah. and someone just converts it and it has it still has the door you know as where it was and it you know it just has maybe slightly bigger windows rather than you know windows that you would get in a house so it's weird because like to me the idea of someone's home turning into a shop isn't that foreign of an idea like it is possible that i could you know i could go to some you know mm. some of my you know particularly people i used to go to school with i could probably go to some of their houses and depending on where they were located they could be now in a block of shops <laughs> you know, like it's not mm. it's not yeah. unheard of um so but obviously here they've had to demolish the house and build a new structure so it's kind of funny that that's like and, a, a very extreme thing and yeah. honestly even that even that action feels unusual to me in in the us right this is clearly i mean we've already said like gross point is is a suburb of detroit um there's generally a lot more planning in in construction here and it's usually done at a much bigger scale having a single plot leveled and converted usage converted over to be retail when it's been residential feels really weird and I'm yeah. sure it has happened, but mm. and and I can see why they'd want it, right? Having a small convenience store in the middle of a suburban area is, you know, going to be very appealing because oh, you're printing money so then, yeah. right? Like everyone, but, everyone on that street and on that block is going to be going there every five minutes. Like it's so convenient. Yeah, but it just it I don't feel like it happens very often. I can't think of anywhere that I've been. Where you might have a strip mall in near a mm, residential area, mm. but having just a single out store, or possibly two, because there's that Videopolis, and it's not clear if that's just like part of Ultima or if that's maybe a yeah. separate business. But like, and and with the parking lot and everything, it's it's very, very out of place. Like, I can see why he's kind of like, am I hallucinating this? Like the the massive <laughs> overacting as he gets out of the car and he's looking around for like a gotcha cam or something like mm-hmm. is, is, is this is this really happening like mm-hmm. uh, am i tripping here like is the yeah. car still there like there's that yeah yeah closes up on his face and he's looking at the looking at the ultimate and then he turns around to look at the car to be like it's, it's like yeah it's the castle here yeah. yeah yeah i mean the funny thing is that every time i see this film I, and I, it, despite the music that's playing the thing i always think of is Joni mitchell's big yellow taxi Right, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot yeah. with a pink hotel. Yeah. I literally think of that lyric every time I see this, and I sometimes wonder, given George Armitage's background as a director, because you know he was from that era. I often wonder if he was kind of that was maybe where he was thinking musically, but then they ended up soundtracking it differently um, because it feels like it would be literally that. Um, but also, your point about I like you called it overacting because to me it feels like it's the first time he's acting. <laughs> 
<laughs> like he's been underplaying things so much. Yeah. And it's always like, ang- and when he does go for it, it's like when we said in the office episode, you know, it's, it's like controlled anger and stuff. But yeah. now he's home, you know, he's in the fresh air, the sunlight. He's just talked to his old teacher. It's cool. You know, she thought so much of him. Yeah, and, and yet now it he's still just... looks like he's completely in shadow for the whole of this. Oh, completely, because he is. He's he. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, he's in the middle of broad daylight with nothing to cast a shadow, and yet somehow, well, it's. I mean, it's the angle, right? The sun's behind him, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I, the other thing is, like, he does the least American thing possible here. He parks his car across the street and walks across the street and then across a basically empty parking lot. Like, yeah, I don't Americans care don't how do distressed you are as an American, you don't ever do that. Like, yeah. you will get back in the car and you will drive around <laughs> to find the nearest parking space to the entrance to that Ultima, because that's the American thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, that's yeah. that's that's like he's expect he's he's stopped his car because he's expecting to see his 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 like, you know, childhood home. So the probably the reason he doesn't get back in the car to like drive across is because he doesn't think like he's he's in this state of not thinking that that exists like that it isn't real yeah that it's some illusion fair, yeah. so he's just walking you know he could be run over because he's not really concentrating he's just yeah, literally walking straight across the road to what he he's assuming is some kind of mirage because he just doesn't think that that's really there he's just like and that's that's what that's what i get like it's just like he is completely yeah. stunned and you know in the next few minutes we'll kind of get his reaction to the whole thing uh, but yeah, it's funny because like this, like this Guns N' Roses track being here, I you know, uh, you know, I was never really a huge fan of Guns N' Roses. I like Appetite for Destruction. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. were uh, they were okay at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, but they were yeah, you know, a notable low light, let's say. Um, and <laughs> this, aside from David Bowie saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, oh, so, uh, but I, I, I find it, I just find it funny because I, like, I was thinking to myself, like, was this done for this film? Like, was it? And, and I, I just remember throughout the entire nineties, this was all over radio, like all the time. Like it was, you know, it was a mild hit, but because Guns N' Roses were falling apart so much. And basically this is like the last, like, you know, usually illusion one and two was like the last time the, the, the original kind of lineup were, were together. It's like yeah. this. You, this got a ton of radio play even years after. So, it, like, it doesn't. You know, if he if he was listening to the radio, I would assume that you know a, a you know a contemporary radio station, um, you know that wasn't playing, you know, I don't know, Scar from the eighties would mm. would be playing this type. Like, this would still be a popular song, you know, four or five years after it originally came out. So it wouldn't be unusual to to hear it. Um, but yeah, and obviously, you know, Axl Rose has a, a very specific type of singing. Um, mm. But he, I don't like I say, if, if the whole song is kind of flattened out and just made to sound like very samey. But then, like the next song they did was like November Rain, was like which was a gigantic like mm. a gigantic hit, and again got mm, tons yeah. of mostly MTV. I think was the benefit of that, like you know the whole oh, yeah, yeah. nine minute video or whatever. So it's it's mm. kind of funny that like. Like when this film comes out, Guns N' Roses basically are, are spending the next God knows how many years, like 15, 20 years, making their next album. So it's kind of weird mm. that it's like at the end of the 90s, Guns N' Roses were still popular. But like once you get into the 2000s, people are just like, aren't they meant to be putting an album out? Like, and that becomes <laughs> the story is like, you know, Ax- basically Axl Rose firing everybody apart from Slash from the band. 
Like it that yeah. that becomes the narrative about Guns N' Roses. So it's funny because this is like yeah. the end of Guns N' Roses. Like popularity has just been a band. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing, as you, as you remember from the era, is is also it was uh, uh, there were a lot of older rock fans who were not Guns N' Roses fans who were, took as fans always do took offence to the idea of someone treading on what was not really that hallowed ground, but suddenly becomes hallowed because it's been covered by a modern band. And, and there was definitely a sense of that, that, you know, what people feel, what a certain sector segment of the music listening population felt Guns N' Roses did to w- Wings's fat song is exactly what Ultima have done yeah. <laughs> to Martin Blank's life. And I think that's kind of, I again, mean, that's another part of the joke, isn't it? If you're going to get offended by Guns N' Roses covering something, you should be more offended by knocking on heaven's door. That like that is Oh no, I, I, I agree worse, with you. But then, worse yeah. cover than this. Um, and oh, also, absolutely, absolutely. The, there's some backing vocals on this from I don't I don't know that we hear them in this particular part of the song that gets played, but from the lead singer of um, uh, Blind Melon, uh, Shannon, yes. Shannon who yeah, yeah. did some backing mm. vocals, um, and obviously yeah. by the time this film comes out, he's not alive. Um, mm. So um, yeah, died age 28, not 27. So missed out on being in that club. Poor, Poor guy. Yeah, wow. but I don't know. It's just you know. I just, I, you know, the reason I wanted to talk about these minutes was that that transition from Guns N' Roses to the Muzak, just perfectly timed with the opening of the door, the little ping on the doorbell, like the the, the like this, like you say, up until this point in the film, John Cusack has been doing his his general John Cusack Cusackiness, which is to basically barely even move his face, to just <laughs> you know he'll say lines and. But it's he's not really kind of being it, and then in these next few minutes he just goes so in the opposite direction. It's just such a, a great kind of transition between the kind of calmness yeah. that we've had up until this point, aside from him killing people, obviously, and <laughs> you know just the, the reaction. I mean, you know, I don't want to preview it, but like the reaction in the next minute is just my favorite thing in the entire film. Of you know that this this kind that- of it becomes more of like what his personality is as he get, as he goes through the film. He becomes more and more. You know, maybe the open book that they're talking about in this song. Um, mm. Mm. So before we jump into uh, the the wrap up and and uh, I, the one thing that I find interesting that um, I feel is is very telling about Martin Blank's character and and where he's come from. This is a guy that when he returns home, returns to his hometown. The first place he goes is not actually home. It's his school. And it's not like he just kind of drives, happens to drive by and slows down and looks out the window and thinks, oh, yeah, like, that's my alma mater. You know, he's clearly stopped, parked up, got out and walked up to the school before he even sees Miss Canella. Mm. He goes to his school before he goes home. Mm. And I think that. Okay. I think that that's, I think that really kind of highlights like where he felt comfortable when he was growing up and what yes. led him to a lot of the decisions that he made. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, they do. You know, he talks about the fact that it's the it, it's the the, the 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 leaving done. It's school. It's the ball, isn't it? At the end of the of high school, when he decides, you know, I'm out of here. 
So he's literally yeah. going back to the point where he left. Yeah. I mean, it seems, it fits with all the other ways that the film is segmenting and editing things together, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It's doing what a a reunion movie should do of of telling the story of the high school years mm. in you know in parallel to the the modern mm. story mm. yeah yeah and and and, and again it's, it's part of the fun of the film isn't it the way all this stuff is is, is laid out and dovetails so nicely you know where we're seeing his life we, we, we're retracing the steps of his life with him yeah you know we start with where he is now and then we move back with him bit by bit by bit you know yeah cool all right so this was minute 22 of the gross point blank podcast debbie radio 79.5 fm featuring your host co-writers and co-producers dev zoligar and hugh david today's guest was darren husted uh you can darren where can we find you if you just stick my name into uh, any uh, podcatcher of choice, uh, you will find all the previous podcasts that I've done, which at this point are uh, numerous, let's say. <laughs> uh, you can also find us uh, on YouTube, uh, on Twitter slash X slash whatever it's going to be named next, if it continues <laughs> to exist, as well as Spotify. And for all of those, we are at Debbie Radio. That is D-E-B-I radio and on our website, debbyradio.com. And again, all of those, it's D-E-B-I radio. And finally, if you want to talk to us on Facebook of all places, you can find us in a listeners group. It's named Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. That's D-E-B-I radio. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Sure was clear that all of this was new Concentrating hard like a little girl Smoking for the first time It wasn't